Good morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 25 is where we are this morning. Good to have you with us this morning. Did I give you a date when we're going to be moving in? Hey, it wasn't supposed to be funny. He said not to listen to me, didn't he? Yeah, that's right. Don't. Man, we are excited. That place is looking good. It is awesome. Praise God. So, uh, and uh, Preston and Ashley are leaving us just in time. We're going to be moving into the building, huh? How about that? But we're excited about you guys going out. You'll be back for visits from time to time, and who knows where God will send you, you know, as he sends you throughout the nation. God bless you guys. It's awesome. I'm excited for what God's doing in your lives. Uh, we got a good study this morning. Of course, we have good studies every, every weekend, every, every morning, because we study God's Word. And so uh, this is our Soul RX series. We're going to look at Psalm 25, talking about guidance this morning. There's no greater prescription for what ails our soul than deep communion with God. That's what the book of Psalms is all about. So here's a couple questions we're looking at this morning. Uh, I guess it's just really one big question is how can you know God is leading and guiding you? Has that ever been a big question for you? How do I know that God's leading and guiding me? How can you know you're not just making decisions on your own, but rather there's a plan and God is leading you through that plan? Now, now before we head into this study, I need to, I need to shoot straight with you about this idea of God's plan for our lives and how we discover that plan Christ is not only an atoning Savior, but also an authoritative guide. Through his death and resurrection, he has atoned for our sins. And through his wisdom and love, he can guide you to make choices that will bring you the greatest life and joy. It is a major contradiction And I see people do this all the time. It is a major contradiction to accept him as an atoning savior and reject him as an authoritative guide. Here's how it goes down. Oftentimes we'll hear people say this, I'll accept your forgiveness of sins, but no thanks to your guidance when it comes to my everyday life. When it comes to where I live or how I live or my sexuality or who I should marry or how I should spend my money or leisure time or how I should dress or what I should watch on TV. I mean, we tend to say, hey, I like his forgiveness, but you know what? No thanks. No thanks when it comes to these uh, other aspects of my life. And that's a major contradiction. Now, listen to me. If he bled and died for you, he did. And if he was raised from the dead on the third day, then he proved, he validated who he said he is, the Son of God, God in the flesh, that came to this planet Earth. And, uh, and it, it would be absolutely crazy not to follow him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's crazy. It's crazy to, to somehow think that you can, you can say, okay, I, I want his forgiveness, and yet I'm going to kind of do my own thing. And though maybe, it, maybe you don't do that completely and totally in, you know, in all of your life, maybe it's a, it's a specific area of your life. Maybe, as I mentioned, a number of areas. Maybe it's your sexuality, or maybe it's, maybe it's your finances, and, and what, I, what I want you to understand, he died for you. He bled and died for you. He loves you. So it only makes sense that if he helps us with the eternal aspects of our life, oh my goodness, he can help us with the, with the temporal aspects of our life. 
And he will, and he does, and that's what this study is about. And, and that's, that's really where we're going. So Psalm 25 is, is less about how God guides and more about the kind of person he guides. Um, and the kind of person that he guides is a person that wants the guide more than the guidance. You guys tracking with me on that one? Okay. You want him more than anything from him. And that's the person that he guides. And so we're going to look at five different kind of characteristics of the kind of person that, uh, that God guides. We see it right here in Psalm 25. That's where we're headed. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray, and then we'll dive into our, our study here this morning. God, we are excited to be here today. And uh, God, we thank you that you are not only an atoning Savior, you have forgiven us of all of our sins, past, present, and future. You empower us with your presence, and our future is secure in you. And in every way, you're our atoning Savior, but you're also an authoritative guide. And that we do not have to rely on vague hunches or, or some secret formula to know your will. That your divine guidance isn't something that you give to us as much as it is something that you do for us. It's in relationship with you, as it tells us in John 14, 6, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And so we pray this morning that you would open the eyes of our heart to see wonderful things from your word. And uh, God, help us to become the kind of people that you guide. Help us to hear your voice more clearly so that we can live for you more contagiously. We pray these things in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. So let's take a look at this. Let me read through this. I'm going to try to read through it without making too many comments. You know how hard it is for me to do that because, man, these, some of these verses just are loaded. They just pop out to me. And so uh, here's where we go, chapter 25, verse 1. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. The word wait is the same word that we were singing in that song, they that wait upon the Lord. It's, it's the same word that's used in, in Isaiah 40. They that wait upon the Lord shall be renewed with strength. It's the same kind of waiting. It basically means trusting. And it means to weave your life in and out of God and who God is and what he's wanting to do. And really let him uh, take your cues from him and as you're waiting and as you're looking to him. And that's the idea here. And, and notice you're going to see the word shame come up a few times here too. So he says, let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Shame means um, disappointment, humiliation. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more. It's, uh, it means to be troubled over who we are. And just when things don't work out the way we think they should. And he says, hey, I don't want to have that kind of disappointment or shame or humiliation. And But notice in verse 3, he says, Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. The word wanton means empty or vain, and the treacherous means deceptive. We'll come back to that too. There's, there's something in that that I think it's important. Let me continue to read. Verse 4, now this is, this is a real thrust of what this uh, chapter is about. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. 
There's that word again, wait. So you see shame, you see wait, I'm waiting on you, I'm trusting in you. And by the way, let me, let me just say this real quick. He is worth the wait. When you wait on him, you will renew your strength. You will mount up with wings as eagles when you do that, when you put your trust in him. And then verse 6, remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love. We talked about steadfast love. That's grace. He's just talking about God's unmerited favor in our life. He's going to mention that word again. Those two words are going to come out again. For they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your, there it is, steadfast love, unmerited favor, grace. Remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. Teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love. There it is again. Steadfast love. He's mentioned it three times. All the ways of the Lord are grace. He just mentions it over and over again. Grace, grace, his favor, his favor. Over and over again. And faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. So you get this idea that he's struggling with some guilt. He's got some sin in his life, and yet he's coming to the faithfulness of God, his steadfast love, his grace. Verse 12, who is the man? Now, here's the promise. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. So there's the promise of God's guidance for our lives. We'll talk about fear. What does that mean to fear the Lord? Verse 13, his soul shall abide in well-being. Who? The one who fears the Lord, the one who's being led by the Lord. Well-being. And then, and his offspring shall inherit the land. So he's talking about a legacy that you will pass on to others. Now, this next verse is so, so, so sweet. This is a good verse. See if you... you, you you get the same uh, experience that I've had just meditating on this verse. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. Friendship. The word friendship there means confide and means secret. God shares his secrets with those who fear him, and then he, he makes known to them his covenant. And then verse 15, here's the result. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. That's the key to overcoming any trauma, any trials you're facing, any temptation. Do you have any hurts, habits, or, or hang-ups? Right there, there's your verse. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. I won't get trapped. I'll be able to keep moving. Verse 16. Now you see a little bit more of a struggle. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all of my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. There's that word again, wait. And then he, he finishes, he kind of goes from the individual to the corporate, to the community, and he says, redeem Israel, O God, out of all of his troubles. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. So, ah, that's packed full. That is an awesome text. 
So let's walk through this. Five, uh, let me give you five characteristics. Divine guidance comes to those who, here's the five things. Let's work through this. Now this would be a punch list. Anytime someone comes to me and they say, I'm trying to find God's will for my life, this would be kind of a punch list that I would go through. Now this isn't a technique. This is just to help them to understand what is God speaking to you as you're navigating the issues of your life. Parents, this is what you need to teach your kids. If they want to know God's will and they want to live in God's will and know God's plan for their lives. Here's the first one. Divine guidance comes to those who live for the glory of God. You see that in verses 1 through 3. Notice what he says. Let's go back to verses 1 through 3. He says, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Now let me ask you this. Are we, are we bodies that have souls or are we souls that have bodies? Which one is it? We're, we're souls that have bodies because we're going to get new bodies. How many are excited about the fact that you're going to get a new body one of these days? How many could use a new body right now? <laughs> I could really badly. And, uh, but we are souls with bodies. We are souls. And that's, so what is he lifting up here? I lift up my soul. I lift up my person. I lift up my, the essence of my being. I, I, I give you me. God, I give you me. In essence, it's really what he's talking about here is what the Bible teaches from cover to cover. I'm acknowledging that I was created by you for you to give glory to you. Here, God, I give you my life. Now, let's go back to the idea of shame. He mentioned shame a number of times, and he says, let me, uh, let me not be put to shame. You guys remember in, in uh, Genesis chapter 2 where Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed? You guys familiar with that? And why were they naked and unashamed? That's how God wants us to live, is naked and unashamed. I mean, not literally in, in the physical sense, but, but psychologically and relationally. And the reason why they were unashamed is because they walked in the cool of the day in the garden with God. They got their sense of identity from God. Now think about this. They looked into the face of God, and they received all of the acceptance and security and significance that all of us long for and all that we, de- we all desperately need. And we try to find it in the people, things, and circumstances of our lives rather than in God. But they found it in God. Now, in chapter 3, we see that they turned from God. And so they had this spiritual alienation that immediately led to a psychological alienation. You understand what I'm saying? They no longer had God as the source of their identity, their sense of security, uh, their sense of of what they needed inside. And therefore, they, you, what happens is that it, it immediately leads to relational alienation. It creates problems in our relationships because I don't feel good about me. I'm going to create a lot of problems between us. And so it always goes back to, to God. And so when he's talking about this shame, that's what he's talking about there. Lord, let me find my identity completely in you. Don't let my enemies exalt over me. And so he's saying, may I live for your glory. I lift up my soul to you. I give you my life. Uh, Pastor Chuck Smith, you guys know who that guy is from Calvary Chapel? Good guy. He's in his 80s, still pastoring there in Costa Mesa. I heard this years ago from him. He said this, if I do well when all is well, that says nothing to the world around me. But if I do well when all else is falling and failing, then indeed is my life a witness to the world and the reason why you can be a witness to the world when all else is falling and failing is because you can live without shame. You can be naked and unashamed because your sense of identity is not based on your circumstances or the people in your life or the things that may break or whatever. 
or that you may gain through purchasing them or whatever. It's just your identity's in him. I lift up my soul. May I not be put to shame. God, I, I live my life for you. And you can live your life for God's glory regardless of what's going on in your life. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him and we're most satisfied in him well that's when we're putting on display his glory so here's the fight every day you want to live in god's plan fight for delight in him every day and you'll find that as you come face to face with god through his word through prayer that uh that he he's the one that you get your identity from so the word trust did you notice this i trust he said this He says in verse 2, the first part, he says, Oh my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. So what is trust? Trust is coming to the realization that the only person in the universe whose opinion matters looks at me and finds me more valuable than all the wealth in the world. See, that's the Christian life. You want to live a life that's rock solid, unshakable by the circumstances or the people or the things in life? That's, That's what we need. It's living for God's glory. So to live for God's glory is to find him more desirable and valuable than anything life can give or death can take away. Now, here's the second one. So you got that first one. Live for the glory of God, and you can do that regardless of what's going down in your life. You find your deepest satisfaction in him. That's part of God's will. And then according to the word of God, notice what he says in verses 4 and 5. He says, make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation, for you I wait all the day long. This is a desire for a mind and heart matured and seasoned by God's truth so that you can habitually distinguish the good and wise from the evil and the foolish. Maybe you're familiar with some of these cross-references here. Uh, Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a what? And a light to my path. Maybe you don't know that one. Did you, how many know that verse? Okay. You were just hesitant to kind of repeat it after me. So uh, your, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light unto my path. 2 Timothy 3, 16, this is uh, my wife's favorite verses in the Bible. And, uh, and they are God's word is God, all scripture is God breathed. So think about this. So this book that we're reading, this is the very breath of God. Have you ever gotten so close to somebody that you can feel their breath? And if their breath is really bad, you go, whoa. Wow, here, here's a lifesaver or whatever. Um, but, uh, but God, this is God's breath upon our lives. That's amazing. All scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God, the woman of God, is fully equipped for every good work. And then Hebrews 5, 11 through 14, these are your cross-references on your notes if you're following along or you can study these later. But he's uh, actually bringing some, he's rebuking and he's correcting and this is what he says in this text. And this we have, we have much to say to you, but you have become dull of hearing. This is, this is the writer in Hebrews. He's saying, hey, we have a lot of things we'd like to say to you. This is the fifth chapter, the 11th verse. You don't need to turn there. Study it later, later on this week. But man, we, there's so much more we'd like to tell you, but you're dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food.
food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So, so here's the point. He's wanting to be so saturated with the Word of God. And by the way, there's a difference between the command will and the planned will. Let me make a distinction. I think he's talking about the command will of God. You might want to write that down in your notes. Command will, planned will. Command will, planned will. We're talking about the command will of God, the Ten Commandments, what this book says. And then there's the planned will of God for your life. So, so he's talking about the command will, but you also need to know the planned will. The planned will, and I put this verse down, Ephesians 2.10, says that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good, good works that God has foreordained, predetermined for us to walk in them. So that's the planned will of God. So you've got the command will of God, but then there's a planned will of God that God has shaped you in such a way. He's given you spiritual gifts if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. He's given you a heart for certain things in life. He's given you abilities, personality, life experiences, and he wants to use that in you to make an impact in other people's lives that nobody else can make. You are a unique, one-of-a-kind original. When God made you, he broke the mold, okay? And that's pretty interesting and pretty cool and pretty amazing. And so there's the command will, but then there's the planned will based on how God has, has shaped us. In fact, if you need uh, another reference, so Ephesians 2.10 makes that clear. But also, verse 12 that we read, Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. Who should choose? God. God has a way for you to go and to do life. And so there's a difference between the command will and and what he's saying is that we need to be so mature in the Lord that we understand the command will that we can sit down with friends and distinguish good from from evil. And we can help people to, to navigate the issues of life. That's what he was talking about in Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. But here's my point. You need to be saturated in the command will of God if you're ever going to be able to discern the planned will of God. You need to be saturated in this book, the command will of God, if you want to know the specifics of where God is leading you, the specifics for your life based on how he has shaped you based on the uniqueness of his interaction with you and what he's wanting to do in your life and how he wants you to make an impact in other people's lives for his kingdom. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing that God would use me here regularly through this church. I'm a, I was a pipe fitter, you know, for a number of years, firefighter, and God would use me. And so part of his, his planned will for my life was to start Desert Breeze. So, so you're here, this is, this is part of God's planned will for my life. Uh, when, after we've been married for a little while, I, I told my wife, I said, I really think this is God's plan for our lives. I think he wants us to start Desert Breeze, and uh, I'm not, I'm not going to do it unless you're, you're ready, unless you're wanting to do that. I won't do it. And so she prayed about it, and she actually would say this, that the more she prayed about it, the more she didn't want to. She's like, are you kidding? That's a lot of work, and that's crazy, and that's out of control, and you want to start a church? That doesn't make any sense. But the more she prayed about it, the more more she prayed about it, the more the passion rose up in me, and the more she realized, no, this is what we're going to do. And I told her that we're going to do this until we die. This isn't something we're just going to try. 
That's why we're still here after 20 years. We're going to keep doing this until you guys, either I'm going to do your funeral or you're going to do mine, okay? So one way or the other, okay? So, so we're going to hang out here as long as until we, until we send each other to heaven. Or maybe we'll just go together. Oh, however that will work out, I don't know. <laughs> we'll let God, that's part of his plan will. We'll let him uh, deal with that. But, but that's part of that, really understanding it. So the planned will of God is not a blueprint, but a game plan. You might want to write that down too. It's not a blueprint, but a game plan. The planned will of God is not a blueprint, but a game plan. A blueprint spells, it out, spells everything out in detail. But a game plan sets general guidelines with an occasional specific play. So God told me he wanted us to start Desert Breeze, and he didn't tell me how we're going to do that, but he used my, uh, a bit of my shape. Part of my uh, spiritual gifts are leadership and teaching and um, evangelism are my primary gifts. And, and I had a real heart for the guys that I worked with, you know, uh, pipe fitters, construction dudes, you know, uh, firefighters, and, uh, and then he, God begins to use that in my own life. But he didn't tell me a lot of specifics, but from time, to time, from time to time, he gives me specifics for my life. He'll say, hey, this is what I want you to do. I mean, I, I believe that it was part of God's plan will that where we're currently moving. That was part of God's plan will. By the way, a lot of times his plan will is something you just kind of stumble upon. It, we were looking all over the valley for a place, couldn't find it. Finally, we gave up and we said, I don't know what we're going to do. And this is kind of typically how God has led Desert Breeze through the years. But we just said, ah, we don't know what we're going to do. But we know one thing. We need to get out of school. So let's just lease some property. So we went to the, to the guys that own the property. Said, ah, you know, we've been looking for a place to buy, but we can't find any place to buy. So I th- we're thinking about leasing. Well, we didn't know you wanted to buy. Well, we'll sell to you. And we go, what, really? And then they came back and we began to negotiate. And, and the, of course, the, the board of elders looked at it and goes, you got to be kidding. This is God. This is too good to be true. It was one of those kind of things that was too good to be true. And God just began to open up the doors. And so we knew, wow, this is God. So we're beginning to see this thing take place. And it wasn't anything through coercion or manipulation or anything. This is God. This is God's planned will. But so God, so the, it's not a blueprint, but it's a game plan. He gives you general guidelines, but within those guidelines, you begin to make choices and decisions. But then sometimes he comes in and says, no, I want you to do this. I want you to go there. So if you're looking for the specifics every day, you're going to be frustrated. Because there's going to be times he's not going to say, you know, uh, go this certain route to work. He might. Some morning he might say, you know, you, you need to go this route. Oh, I need to go that route. And it might just be a thought. It might be just an impression. It might be whatever, you know. And it could be you're avoiding an accident. It could be any number of things. But for the most part, he's going to give you general rules. Like don't break the law. Don't speed. Get to work on time. You know, you know what I'm saying? Some specifics, some general rules like that. And so you, you work and you make decisions and you make wise decisions within the game plan. And so, so the way that you understand God's so there's a difference between, and you've got to know the difference between God's command will and God's planned will. Command will, planned will, and you need to be saturated in the command will of God if you're ever going to be able to discern the planned will of God. Did you guys track with that? I hate to be overly redundant, but I just want to make sure you get this. Um, and so the, the goal would be to just saturate yourself in this book, okay? My wife took, uh, let me ask you this. Uh, how long do you think it would take for you to become uh, fluent in another language? I notice that people that come from other countries, they come to, 
to America, and they, they're usually fluent in two or three languages, and most of us aren't even fluent in our own language, and uh, at least not me, and, uh, but I find that really interesting. How long, how many have ever tried to learn another language? Some of you know other languages, some of you I know that. How many have ever tried to learn? How many would think that maybe 15 minutes a day would help you to learn another language, you'd be fluent in that language? Yeah, those that, that are bilingual would say, no way. My wife took four years of Spanish in high school. Do you think she can, she's fluent in Spanish? No. Hola, como estas? Muy bien. That's about all she can say. And, uh, and uh, no, and, and, and even one, one hour a week, would one hour a week be enough? Here's the point. If you're just getting 15 minutes a day in God's command will, if you're only getting an hour a week, you're not going to know his plan will for your life. You've got to saturate yourself. Saturate yourself in God's word. I listen, and you've heard me say this before, I listen to uh, a version on the Bible. I take the Bible with me. I meditate on it. I reflect it on these verses throughout the week. People will ask me from time to time, well, how do you get the insight from this? I spend 20, 30 hours a week just looking this over, studying it, meditating it, reflecting it, praying it, enjoying it, celebrating all that God's doing in my life. In fact, I don't think I can make it without God's word. And I don't know that I would make wise decisions without his word. Okay, that's two. That's the second one. Enough said, huh? Okay, here we go. So divine guidance comes to those who live for the glory of God according to the word of God and then humbly among the people of God. This is a little bit, you might, might think this is a bit of a stretch, but... Uh, but I got that from verses 8 and 9 and then verse 22. Did you notice how he shifts from uh, the individual to the corporate in verse 22? He says, redeem Israel, O God. And you need to know that this is a hymnal for corporate worship for the, for the nation of Israel. And so humbly among the people of God, this is what would be classified as wise counsel. Did you notice in verse 8, if you still have your Bibles open, he says, he instructs sinners in the way. That's a, that's a great verse. He instructs sinners in the way. Turn to the person next to you and say, see, there's hope for you. See, there you go. And then you can say, you sinner. I know I don't say that, okay. Because I'm a sinner too. So here's the cool thing about it. Did you notice what's the stipulation for his guidance? You have to be what? Yell it out to me. You have to be what to be, to be guided by God? He, he does what? He, he instructs what kind of people? Sinners. Woohoo! I could do that. <laughs> Praise God. I'm a sinner. And you are too. Okay. And so are you. You more than me. Okay, probably not. But uh but here's the deal. And uh so God guides only those who know they are sinners. And the proof of that interpretation is verse 9. Notice what he says. He guides the humble in what is right. And so when you begin to recognize your sinfulness, what does that do? That humbles you. I'm more sinful than I ever dared to think. I was so sinful, Jesus had to die for me. I love that verse. I love that. That's the gospel. I mean, you see it all over the Bible, but that's the gospel. The gospel is this, you are a sinner saved by Jesus' works, not your works. That's the gospel. All other religions, the good are in, the bad are out. You've got to meet their standard. Christianity, 
The humble are in, the proud are out. All you need is need. All you need to say is, oh, yeah, I'm a mess. I need you, Jesus. You're my Savior. And he says, I will guide you. I will lead you. You guys tracking with me? Now, that's important. That's big. That's huge. That's the gospel. That's why I'm a Christian today, because it's, it, it's stunningly beautiful. What do I need to be a Christian? See, that's why I believe Christianity is the most inclusive religion in all the world. Everything else is based on works of righteousness. This is grace. So you're struggling. He instructs sinners in the way. So when you begin to recognize, so, so, so when you begin to see your dire condition in light of the magnitude of his provision, oh my goodness, he died for you and he indwells you and he will guide you and lead you. Oh my goodness, that's unspeakable and glorious joy that overflows your life. And so humble among the people of God, so that's what creates that humility. And by the way, we don't really know that we're sinners until we start uh, hanging out with other people. You know what's interesting about marriage is marriage is the Mack truck you drive over the bridge of your life. And it it doesn't cause the cracks in the structure, it just reveals them. You guys tracking with me? Uh, Tim Keller said that. And, and so there's something about community, and I see people go from community to community sometimes, or they go from marriage to marriage, or they, and what's happening is that they're being revealed. God is using that relationship to reveal the cracks in their life. They think it's that person, and they, and they, they certainly have flaws too, but oftentimes God is using that to reveal our own flaws so that we can run into the arms of our Savior, the one that we desperately need. And so it's in the context of community, God does that. Uh, You hear us say this a lot, DB value, life change happens best in small groups. But but what happens in small groups? We we speak the truth in love. And then we have to... We have to grow up, and we go, ah, I don't like that person. Why is it that I don't like that person? It's because they're a whole lot like you. That's why you don't like that person. So, I mean, so that's, that's part of it, and God begins to use that in our lives. Um, and so Psalm, uh, I, I gave you a number of verses here. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, uh, where there is no guidance, people fall. Uh, we need wise guidance to wage war, to wage war against the, you know, the enemies of our lives. Ephesians 4.15 says we speak the truth in love so that we can grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Hebrews 3.12-13 says we need encouragement daily, otherwise our hearts become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We have unbelieving hearts causing us to fall away from the living God. So we desperately need to hang out with others because other people will help us to see things that otherwise we can't see. i got to uh, share this story real quick. My wife and I attended a church in, um, here in the valley for about 10 years. It was Valley Christian Assembly. There's a few folks that uh, hung out there with us at VCA, but, um, but I'll never forget this. We had, our kids were small. We were unloading them out of the car. We were getting, walking across the parking lot, and my wife noticed that there was a gal getting ready to walk into the main entrance of the church where the auditorium is, and I, get, I don't think women wear pantyhose anymore, but, uh, but back then they wore pantyhose, and she had her dress, and she had her dress tucked into the back of her pantyhose. And when my wife saw that, she couldn't remember the gal's name. And she goes, hey, hey, wah, ooh, hey, oh, hey, hey. 
And we kind of both envisioned her, you know, you know, imagine somebody coming in this and walking all the way down to the front with their dress tucked into their pantyhose. And I was kind of like, wow, let's see what would happen. And uh, <laughs> don't tell her, let's see what will happen here. That'll liven the, the, the party up a little bit. But, uh, and so finally, Nancy kind of broke away from us and ran over there and goes, hey, you guys, you got your dress tucked in your pantyhose. And, um, and the gal fell back, fell back there and she goes, oh, 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 she about ripped her dress off just trying to get it down there. Now, now it's interesting when Nancy told this gal about her dress being tucked in her pantyhose, this gal didn't say, it is not. Don't judge me. The gal didn't say that. Don't judge me. You're being critical. No. She goes, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's what she said. So, so when we're in community, here's the point. When we're in community, people will probably point out the fact that you have your dress tucked in your pantyhose, okay? And we all have flaws. Would you agree with me that we have blind spots? A lot of my blind spots I didn't even recognize until I got married. And she makes it, I mean, she points them out regularly. And I love her for that. I really do. And I love it when my own staff will point out blind spots. You got your dress tucked in your pantyhose. I mean, don't, probably shouldn't use that for men, but, uh, but for men, it'd be like having your zipper down or having food, you know, on your front or something like that. Any guys out there ever walk around with your zipper down and nobody told you? I went to the market one time with my zipper down. I had my hands in my pocket and you know what that does to the zipper. And I was wondering why everybody was smiling at me. It's like, oh, hi. <laughs> They're just being friendly. <laughs> and I walked out of the store and I go, my zipper's down. What an idiot. I wish somebody would have told me. Listen, you hang out in community, people will tell you because they love you. And you're not going to go, don't judge me. You're going to go, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. You're helping me to see Jesus more clearly. You're helping me to, to experience, you know, God's plan for my life, God's command will, so that I can see his, his planned will for my life more clearly because I desperately want to know Jesus. I want to follow him. I want to walk with him. Okay, enough said. Uh, the next one is uh, confident in the providence of God. Confidence, uh, confident in, in the providence of God. And this is an important one too. So divine guidance comes to those who live for the glory of God according to the word of God, humbly among the people of God. So that's wise counsel. And then confident in the pro- providence of God. This has helped me out tremendously. This one. Look at verse 10. Notice what he says in verse 10. All the paths of the Lord. So as God's leading us, this is what it's saying. God's going to lead you and guide you and he's going to bring things into your lives that are based on what? His steadfast love, his grace, and then faithfulness. The New American Standard uses the word truth, so based on on grace and truth. Now look at verse 12. I already mentioned this verse. Who is the man who fears the Lord? The word fear means this. It's not being afraid of God, but it's a life-altering, joyful awe and wonder of the beauty and the glory of who God is and what he's done for you. You You're just stunned. I can't believe You're a God unlike any other God. There is no one like you, like the songs we sang. There's no one like you. You are beautiful. I'm captivated by your love. And and that's what it means to fear God. There's that sense of awe and wonder. 
that the God of the galaxies would come to this earth and die for you and I and give us his life. And so he says, who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he, he should go. In other words, God's got a plan for your life, and he's going to bring things into your life that you're totally unaware of, but it's all part of his plan. So this kind of goes along with, how many are familiar with Romans eight twenty eight? maybe have memorized that verse? For we know that all things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. So, so God's taking, so all the things that happen to me, God is working them for my good and his glory. How many are familiar with 5020, uh, Genesis 5020? You guys familiar with that verse? Remember Joseph? He gets uh, ripped, his clothes get ripped off, he's thrown into a pit, and, uh, and then he's sold into slavery, and then he goes from the pit to prison to the palace. Second in command of all of Egypt, guess who shows up? His brothers. And so he looks his perpetrators in the eyes, and this is what he says. You can tell that he got some healing. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good for what is now being done, the saving of many lives. By the way, we're going to talk about bitterness next week, so you don't want to miss. We're going to talk a little bit about that. How do we work through those hurts? Every one of us have hurts in our lives. So how do you work through those hurts? We're going to work through that bitterness, but he was able to work through that. He was able to look into the eyes of his perpetrators and say, you know what, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. He, God allowed this to happen in my life to happen so that now what is happening for the saving of many people's lives. So he was able to save many people's lives in Egypt, but also he was able to preserve the lives of his own family. So pretty amazing story. So, so that it goes along with this. I've got to believe in the providence of God. Jerry Bridges says this, God's providence is his constant care for and his absolute rule over all his creation for his own glory and the good of his people. So what's the point? What's the, what are you getting at, Pastor Ray? Here's what I'm getting at. Relax. Relax, rest in his providential guidance in your life. We often make poor decisions because we are afraid we'll make poor decisions. You know, you know what I'm saying? We get, oh, I'm going to make the wrong decision and things are going to go bad. And blah, blah, blah. Hey, guess what? You, you will make bad decisions, but rest, rest. The bad decisions you make, he'll work those for your good. The bad things that happen to you, he will work those for your good and his glory. That's why it says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean upon your own understanding. You know, you start looking at your life and go, wow, why did I do that? Why did that happen to me? Don't lean upon your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Cultivate intimacy with him, and he will direct your paths. You can trust his loving, wise control of your life. That's what those verses are saying. That's what it means to be confident in the providence of God. J.R. Miller, dead theologian, he wrote this back in 1903. This is what he said. Listen to me. When we get to heaven, we shall know that God has made no mistake in anything he has done for us. However, he may have broken into our plans and spoiled our pleasant dreams. We will know, wow, God, everything you do is, is right and good, and I thank you for that. Those will be the words that will come out of your mouth when you come face to face with your Father in heaven. In Genesis 27 uh, through chapter 27 through 35, there's a story of Jacob. Jacob sins against Isaac. Because oftentimes we think, well, I, I got, you know, I'm on plan B for God because I missed it over here and now he's got me on plan B or plan C or D. And uh, Jacob sins against uh, Isaac here 
his father, and then Esau, his brother, he lies, he cheats, he steals, and as a result, he has to leave his home and all sorts of problems come into his life because of his deception. Yet when he is in exile, far away from home, he meets the love of his life, Rachel, and from her comes the Messiah. Is that plan B? Would you say the Messiah is plan B? No way. No way. God is working everything for our good and his glory. So you can rest, rest. If you make a mistake, guess what? God's bigger than that. He'll get you back up. You'll learn from that and you'll move on. Trust in his guidance. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean upon your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him. He will direct your path. Here's the last one. Living in communion with the spirit of God. I already talked about that one last week and you'll need to download it if you've got the DB app. You can listen to it or you can go uh, online to the, to the website and talk about it. We talked about intimacy with God. This is absolutely the best part of being a Christian, and that's intimacy with the infinite. Look at verses 14 through 15. I, I started to try to unpack them a little bit as we read through it. The friendship of the Lord, the God confides his, his secrets of the Lord is for those who fear him. He makes known. The word there, the Hebrew is yada. It's the same word that's used when Adam knew Eve and she conceived. So it gives us this idea that our interaction with God is is deep. There's an intimacy in our interaction with God. So he makes known to them his covenant. We talked about covenant last week. The word covenant means cut. Remember what they would do when they would make an agreement? It was an oral storytelling culture. And so when they would make a contract, they'd write out a contract, they'd cut an animal in half and they would walk between the pieces. That's what covenant means, to cut. They would walk between the pieces and in essence saying, if I violate this covenant in any way, may what has happened to this animal happen to me. May I be cut to pieces. And what's interesting in the 15th chapter of, of Genesis is that who walks between the pieces and who doesn't? Abraham doesn't walk between the pieces, but God walks between the pieces in essence to say, if I break this covenant, if you break this covenant, may I be torn to pieces. And he was torn to pieces by you, by us on the cross. He was torn to pieces because we violated the covenant. That's amazing. Covenant. That's what covenant means, to cut. And he was cut for you and I. He bled and died for you and I. He makes known the fact that that would stir you or move you into relationship with him is evidence that he's making that known to you. And then in verse 15, he says, My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. And this is the love you've been looking for your whole life. Underneath, underneath all of your pursuits, this is the love, this is the friendship. There is nothing like his love. That's why it's, that's why it's so significant in this uh, chapter on, on guidance and working through the issues of our lives. And uh, I talked to you about last week the, the marks of intimacy. Just let me give them to you real quick. This is uh, Psalm six, uh, 63. It means to have a desire for God that exceeds all other desires. It means that, uh, that when we interact with him uh, and we know that God's in our life, it's not just some concept, it's, it's a reality. In other words, information becomes transformation, that his, his power strengthens us, his peace comforts us, his presence fills us with, with joy. There's something that happens in our life as we walk with him and, and we get to know him. And then the last one is that, of course, our life is, is filled with praising and rejoicing. 
Those were the three big points, the three marks of intimacy. I encourage you to listen to that message. Hey, would you bow your heads with me? Let me pray this, and then then, uh, we'll have you stand, and I'll send you out here. But let's just take a moment here. God, thank you so much for the insight that this text has given us on guidance, that divine guidance comes to those who live for your glory. Help us to do that, God. Help us to find our deepest satisfaction in you according to your word. Help us to, to saturate our lives with your word humbly among the people of God. Lord, let us cultivate and get close to others so that we can speak the truth in love, uh, that it would be mutual in our relationships, both in our marriages and in our small groups. And God, that we can be confident in your providence, that God, you work all things in our lives for our good and your glory. And God, most importantly, that we would live in communion with your Holy Spirit that is with us this morning, will never leave us or forsake us. Nothing can separate us from your love. We thank you for that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me. Let me read to you. This is an old hymn. I grew up, uh, maybe you're familiar with it. This is what I want to speak to you as your blessing. It's an old hymn. It should be up on the screen. And it really goes along with that verse 15, 25, 15, where he says that I have set my My eyes upon the Lord. He says, my eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. That's what I want you to do. As we exit here today and as you live out your life this next week for him, this is how the song goes. O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's a light for a look at the Savior, a life more abundant and free. Through death into life everlasting, he passed and we follow him there. Over us, sin no more has dominion, for more than conquerors we are. His word shall not fail you, he promised. Believe him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying, his perfect salvation to tell. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. May that be true about you and I this week. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. God bless.